Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. And this is a Stained Wretches, where we break down what's going wrong and what's going right in the American news business. Eliana Johnson, I am so frustrated with how D.C. has been for weeks. The trucker convoy, State of the Union shutdown, getting around the city has been like it's an armed encampment and I've had it. I'm frankly over it. Well, tell me about it. I wouldn't know because I only, I actually only leave my home to do this podcast. Oh. Because uh, I am home with a seven-week-old baby, and so this is like my big outing of the week. This is like mom's day out. Yeah. Samantha, our producer, uh, says- Slash AEI scholar. Computer. Yeah. Do you yes. want to record in the studio or do you want to do it remotely? And I'm like, in the studio, in the studio. Yes. Well, it's nice to get together and catch up as friends. The great thing about doing this podcast, probably my favorite thing about doing this podcast, is a great chance to catch up with you and a nice thing. It's good to schedule time with a friend to talk. Anyhow, Any, back th- to your rant. That ha- well, no, just I'm over it. There are two kinds of people in the District of Columbia. There are the people trying to move through the District of Columbia. I want to, I urgently want to get where I'm going. And then there are the people who are the District of Columbia, and they block streets. They pull up their Amazon vans on one-lane streets, get out. And I realized something. The people are very high. The, 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 the marijuana enthusiasm of the District of Columbia has led to a real inertia of people. You smell it everywhere, and you're just like, oh, I'm coming at this as like an urgent need to get across town. And you're coming at this of like, I just add some edibles, and I'm going to like be cool with just walking wherever, however, and doing whatever. So I need to adjust my thinking and not be hostile and upset, but understand that I'm moving through their space. That sounds like a good life motto for me. Yes. That's, that can be you. In normal days. Exactly. Well, big news on your end, which is you texted me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I woke up, I think, at 3 in the morning or something, and I had a text from you. Let me see when, what, Six, what I, time it arrived. The text came in at 6.15 a.m. I shared with everybody. Samantha, I'm sure I sent one to Samantha. But everybody, all my closest friends, got a 6 a.m. text from me that was just a word count and either a gif of uh, George C. Scott as General Patton saluting. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't get. I'm sorry I didn't give you the gif, but I found some great gifts and just sent out the announcement. It is like having a baby. Oh my gosh, what a relief! And you know, we'll. I, you know. Yes, and how are your privates? I, I, it's like having a baby, you jerk. I well now I don't and and now I don't have to. Well, I kind of have to take care of it. You got to do a book tour and you got to do publicity and all that stuff. But writing about journalism was really hard, and we'll talk more about the book when it when we're the ready. The only difference is that you are physically fine and you get paid for it, whereas having a baby it costs money, right? Physically, yes, and it it drains all of your resources. Physically, I'm like a seven. Too many all nighters. Too much. Ca- I'm trying to get my body like to 
rebalance a little bit. But anyway. Well, congrats. Writing a book about the work that you do is hard because you're self-conscious while you're doing it because you know, and this, you know, you and I have talked about this many times on this podcast. It's hard because we're working journalists, right? We're practicing journalists. So when we're criticizing or critiquing or talking about the work of journalism, we're not doing it as outsiders. We're not at a university. We are, we're, we, then we're going to go home and go do this work after we leave here. So it's, it's a little different, but I was really pleased with the product and just love, much love to the folks at Center Street and Alex Pappas uh, coming through this was just, you know, it's, it's been great. I've worked with Alex Pappas at Fox News and he followed me at The Examiner. Uh, and getting to have him as a book editor has been a real pleasure. Hi, Alex Pappas. Yeah, Alex Pappas, one of the sweetest, nicest, yeah. best dudes. Lovely. And his the pictures of him and his daughter May from Mardi Gras in Mobile was just fantastic. Uh, such a sweetie. Okay, does Zelensky know what a media smash hit he is in the United States? Does he get how much the American media has fallen in love with the president of Ukraine? This guy is killing it. No one, no one has conquered the American press like this since Barack Obama. I think he totally knows. I think it's I think he's super talented, very conscious. He's definitely cute, picture perfect family, hot wife, adorable children. He's got he's totally got it all. The funny, smart. Um, I'm I'm like leading the the fan club of the the meme that I saw the, the things you can see from space the pyramids the the Suez Canal the Great Wall of China and Zelensky's balls and, <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and it it's interesting for me to watch a politician who like American culture is this often happens, it's reflected back to us. It's like when you listen to K-pop music, you're listening to the Backstreet Boys as reimagined by Korean people played back to uh, played back to us. But watching Zelensky, and I went back and watched some of his comedy work, uh, his shows, his Dancing with the Stars, he could be an American, right? If the, if the language was different, he would fit it. He, would, he, he could have been a celebrity in the U.S., well, he's definitely cute. <laughs> All right, we stipulate that. How? Oh my gosh, this is a, such an aside. But I, speaking of cute, I, I was all over my husband to watch this Tom Brady documentary on. Oh Netflix my gosh! Plus. Blah, blah. And it's basically like just an infomercial for Tom Brady, but. I learned about all these other football players, and I knew pretty much nothing about Tom Brady other than he's married to Giselle and lots of cute gentlemen. And this, I mean, Tom Brady's obviously cute, but lots of other uh, hunky fired football players. Yes. How do you feel about Gronk? Where Where do you fall on the Gronk I, line? I like. I know he's a football player, but he's not in this documentary. I'm sure he is. He looks like oh, a. Weird. He looks like a. He looks like a roast beef sandwich. It was like he's. A, a, I'm gonna. Go he looks like a Lego man, and he's giant. But he's okay. Okay, so he's like lower lower than the Brady. No Brady. I I. Well, Brady is so amazing because they show him like seven years old in high school and college. He. I mean, he has an age. He looks exactly the same as he looked in college. And then there's a guy who was a defensive something or other um, with Brady on the Patriots <laughs> who's retired now. Probably, probably a defensive lineman. 
Yeah. Well, he had cornrows and was much bigger back in the day. Yeah. Now he doesn't and is a little bit more slender, but still ripped and has this diamond earring. And I wouldn't think I'm into that, but you've, you've very cute. You've unlocked something. Yeah, the cute. the jock vibe that you were not feeling at Yale is now has now. Well, I got to say the jocks on offer there, are not exactly. exactly what was on offer in this documentary. Ex- ex- exactly. The uh, a, a, school, a school that's most famous football game ended in a zero zero tie is it, it, to, to be noted. So how do you think? Anyways, back to the State of the Union. No, no, before we get to that, I yeah. want to see how do you, the the support for Ukraine, every news outlet basically, right, has gone in, right? There is, there, there's, you could almost sense a relief, I think, among people, something wholesome to believe in, right? That after so many stories to cover that were all bad news, this was an ins- this is an inspiring story, right? The courage of the Ukrainian people. I wrote a piece that talked about how they hold a mirror up to our faces as Americans and make us a little ashamed, right? We see what the Ukrainians are doing and what they're capable of, and Zelensky, and then and we're Zelensky like Zelensky truly putting his life on, on the line. line and saying this might be the last time you see me. I'm honestly a little bit surprised by the public sentiment of Americans, given the. You know, since the end of the Iraq war, the kind of war weariness, the reluctance to get involved overseas, obviously nobody's talking about boots on the ground. But in all of these public polls that we've seen, the sentiment is Biden's not doing enough. We should be doing more. And the uh, the fact that people care at all. And most of the time, Americans don't care about things happening overseas. So, you know, those aren't my views. So I'd say I'm pleasantly surprised by it, but I am surprised. And including... Including the media. Uh, That's what I'm I mean. Surprised yeah. Surprised by the media's response. And left and right, the it was interesting to watch Fox have to sort of do a little turn. Tucker had to do a turn because it was like, why is Putin never called you a racist? Blah 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 blah. And then three days later, he says, "Well, okay, uh, he did invade." I think there were a lot of the people who were enjoying the space politically and from a media standpoint of Putin. How would you put it? Not pro-Putin, but Putin saw like a a neutrality around Putin. I was going to say Putin indifferent. Yeah, uh, like up to a little Putin apologism. Uh, and these are the same people who like Viktor Orban. You got to see, and I want to talk more about CPAC and how, how to cover CPAC. But those people are in a pickle because Putin did what they didn't think he would actually do. The Russians really did it. So that's had that's been a little bit of an about face. So it's it basically, I would say, as close to universal as you're going to get in the American news media today of the framing of this story. And that's something kind of remarkable. And I, I agree with you. Good in the sense that we're not putting we don't have to deal with a lot of, well, what about this and what about that? Because it's it it's an easier story. It's a it's an emotional story, but it's an easier story because it's straightforward. There is clear bad as Tim Carney said, let's don't get it complicated. This is one of those cases where something is a, a clear evil is happening and we can set aside third and fourth order questions for later. Well, I'll tell you the other thing I was surprised about was when the first set of sanctions came down, it would have been really easy for the press to say Biden administration responding to this really strongly. But actually, there was pretty widespread coverage of what was a complex issue, explaining that there are exemptions for uh, for Russian oil 
and the pressure on the Biden administration to close this loophole, et cetera. And like the press was actually hard on him and covering the fact that there was more the administration could do, why this loophole was important and the room it left the Russians, et cetera. It's that sort of stuff that I've been surprised by, where uh, I find the media is not covering for the Biden administration in any way on this. I agree. I have to, though, you remind me of a, a real delight, which is in people know my fact, my aversion to fact checking. All it, look, There's fact checking that is important work to be done which is here's a specific claim we're going to go like did did this thing actually happen but fact checking as an institution in the united states media is is well out of hand and the good people at politifact had a fact check that they wanted to share uh do you remember who said the original uh made the original attack okay so the the charge the 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 fact that is being checked is that the the claim that the U.S. doubled oil imports from Russia in the last year. This was a Republican criticism of Joe Biden. He has not, that that Biden's restriction. A lot of the criticism is that the response has to be uh, energy. increase in energy independence. So PolitiFact says, no, that's, that's not true. That's false. We checked it out. So here's the bullet points from PolitiFact. The U.S. did not double oil imports from Russia in the last year, PolitiFact says. First bullet point, the most recent data from the U.S. Energy Information Administration shows that the U.S. increased its oil imports from Russia about 28% in the first 10 months of 2021. The U.S. did double the amount of crude oil imported from Russia last year, but Russia accounts for only about 2% of overall U.S. crude oil imports in 2021. So here's the headline. The U.S. did not double oil imports from Russia in the last year. Second bullet point, the U.S. did double the amount of crude oil imported from Russia. And PolitiFact really struggles because of the and a lot of fact checking. Uh, the Washington Post falls victim, as we talk uh, we often talk about here, falls victim to this. I mean, Chris, is there any good fact checker out there? The dispatch does. I knew you were going to say that. The dispatch does. I was going to say, don't say the dispatch. The dispatch. The dispatch does great fact checking, and there can be individual fact checks that are done well. But what Politifact does is say what, and we talked about this with the Washington Post going after the Free Beacon story about the crack pipes. They're saying not that this fact is incorrect, but that you should feel differently about the fact, right? So it'd be one thing if PolitiFact had said, it's true what you say, but you should know this context. That would be honest. But to lie in a fact check and say, we did not double oil imports from Russia in the last year. We doubled oil imports from Russia in the last year. It's just not that much oil. So why are you so worried about it? Why would anybody listen to them? Right. It's not that much of our total oil Right. That, that's like, well, the crack, the crack pipes were not bought directly. Right. These are the these are the dissembling con, uh, contextualizations that are not fact checked. So please stop doing that. Ben Smith. Yes. Our first interview subject mm-hmm. and Justin Smith, the former CEO of Bloomberg Media, you know, starting this new media company. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Axios reports. What day was this uh, on Tuesday? 
They are fundraising for their new media company. There were articles about it everywhere, blah, 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 that they are approaching some big names in media. Bob Iger, Michael Bloomberg, Laureen Powell Jobs, Carlisle Groups, David Rubenstein. The, they are on the, the usual suspects. Yeah. The people, the people yeah. who they are on the fundraising circuit for their new media company. All and, these people. Yeah, and and you know, not two months ago, Ben Smith was the New York Times media columnist, and I've been surprised. Ben, like Ben, knows everybody. Ben is so likable, and Ben is so smart. Ben, you know, I think people are reluctant to criticize Ben. Ben would, of course, say people criticize him all the time, which is which is also true. But I'm a little reluctant to criticize you, Ben. But <laughs> uh, yeah, so that was projection, I guess. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Ben, but but also disclose. Aren't these the people you were supposed to be covering for the past two years? And now you're going to them and asking them for money. You know, I am going to guess we didn't see the most hard hitting coverage of Laureen Powell jobs in Ben's New York Times column. And it's just it's a little. And yucky, she and explain you know? why, explain it, why. You it's a little ex- yucky. Explain why you think Lorraine Powell Jobs is an important person to cover. Oh, so Lorraine Powell Jobs is like the... The widow of Steve Jobs. Yes. It, yeah. I don't think you, that our audience does not know this, but... Just, there might be normal people like listening. a new media baron where she's she owns the Atlantic. She, does she own it, own it? She owns it. Man, good for her. She's an investor in Axios. And she's an investor in all of these left-wing news sites. I'm only going to um, say she, Axios like this from now on. Axios. Yeah. <laughs> Go on. I'm sorry. And she hasn't gotten as much coverage as she deserves. She's also an investor in lots of these left-wing fake news sites. So your your point of view is because she is an activist and a major media figure, she's a liberal activist or a progressive yeah. activist, who is a major media figure, she should be covered as such and not as Melinda Gates. Thank you. Right? Thank you. Yes, and then it's interesting. Emerson Collective, which is what she puts forward as her do-gooder, you know, entity, it's an LLC, so we have no idea what they do. Uh, they're not a 501c3. You can't see how much they get. Sounds like a prog rock band. To whom, and to whom. Yeah, it does. We're jamming out um, to Emerson anyhow, Collective after uh, the break. You know... A little yucky, and I'm surprised there haven't hasn't been more coverage. Maybe if the New York Times had a media columnist, they could write. Well, no. that would this would no, be no, a good no, 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 subject. But now I will only say or this: New York Times media. Columnist. I will I will only say this. I take your point, but he's a columnist, not a reporter. And uh, uh, oh, that it's a, it, it. That's like there's no distinction. It was a reported column. Well, it's a reported column, but a column. So here's the thing. If you are a media reporter, you have a beat to cover and you have to cover the beat as you want. Or not as you want, but as as news dictates. If you're a columnist, you have latitude to do things like that great piece he wrote about Let's Go Brandon. That wasn't a need to write piece, right? That was a columnist prerogative. As a columnist, I'm touchy about this because people often say, I wrote a piece the other day. Wow, about- Ben, come get your bread buttered at the Stirewall restaurant as a as as the bread buttering store the i wrote a column the other day about why we should or in my note i wrote about why we should raise or uh, set a maximum age for service in washington in government 
that you can only be 79 and be president in the Senate, on the Supreme Court, in the House. Said We have lower end, have an upper end. And I wanted to write it because it was kind of interesting to me, and my brain was burned out on politics and media. 79, man. Did you do, like, some research on brain scans and deterioration to determine that? Nope. 80s. Luck it out. 80s a nice number. The same way they chose 30. I think it should be 69. <laughs> nice. Uh, the- I'm just saying, 70 is old enough for me. That I, I do not mean that in a sexual way. Uh, I'm too, sure you'll be shocked to hear. Too bad, Tom Brady. Tom Brady, you're lost. Uh, <laughs> but Tom Brady is crying exactly. over his two almonds right exactly. now. Exactly. He was like, I was hoping that that was a 69 on purpose. Yeah. But, uh, Tom Brady is gonna rage eat an almond right now. Over over. Crunching it so yes. hard. Bro. I'm crunching it so hard. <laughs> but but the as I I, I got. I had people contact me, who gave me guff, like, "Why are you writing about this?" Being an ageist. Well, the, we had, uh, we definitely had one guy who wrote in and accused me of ageism, but I had friends who were like, "There's is was there literally nothing else to write about in the world than this? Like, there's all this stuff going on." And I said, "It's my thing. I do whatever I want." And I, I take your point, but I would say. He's a media columnist. He was a media columnist, not a media reporter, and he had flexibility. Okay, so it's his thing. He could just be soft on the people he wanted to raise money on. I no, I said I take your point. He, that would be wrong. That would be wrong. But I would just add the caveat that with a columnist, it's a different thing than being a reporter. Okay. Well, I have two CNN obsessions that I want to get to, but. What should yes. we talk about before that? Well, I think we straight to that. Let's go. Is your obsession going to be State of the Union? Yeah, but okay. you do, you okay. do, you do, you, lady. All right. So next up, CNN. We have a new president of CNN, Chris Licht. I'm sorry, what? Chris. Oh, I thought I thought you were saying something about me. I thought we were going the wrong direction again. Are you not familiar with this gentleman? I don't know Chris Licht. Candy-like things you guys are passing around. I don't want. I doubt that Samantha's parents listen to this podcast so i'm not want them to so yeah we'd like them to so i don't want to be a bad influence on anybody and say that i'm chewing nicotine gum right here right now but i i chew a lot of nicotine gum okay gross so cnn has a new ceo president whatever jeff sucker okay right and his name is chris lick chris licked <laughs> you don't know this guy? No, but it's, it's funny for me because my name is Chris and his name is Chris Licht. Anyway, anyway. That's um, enough for me. So, Chris Licht, <laughs> you guys are so juvenile. Normally, I <laughs> just call him Mr. Licht. You guys are. So stupid. Okay, editor, what? Where? What's a timestamp? No, that's oh, perfect. Don't God. ever take this out. Never take that out. Okay, he, you know, was sort of the creative mind behind Morning Joe, and oh god, and then he had a like an aneurysm, I think. Oh, and I'm sorry. Died, and he wrote a book about being a workaholic, and how we realized what was important in life. Realize that Morning Joe is a terrible, terrible television show. Well. He found success. It, it it did like innovate. We, we're kind of like the podcast version of that, where you just sit around. You know what I mean with our coffees. Mm-hmm. It was innovative in that way. And now he is the executive producer of Colbert, and he's going to run CNN. But oh, that's a very interesting path, huh? 
Yes, yeah, so he's never run a network. He's a show guy. Interesting. And he's not like a hard news. No. You know. Well, it's interesting because his mandate is, which More I have news. questions about this. Yeah. His so his mandate is to make CNN less of a left-wing rag and more of a... Is that what it said? Is that what yeah. Turner said? Yes. It said... <laughs> this is, again, from Axios. His mandate is to make it... Make primetime less, you know, uber-left-leaning and to focus more on news. And this goes back to when the major shareholder in Discovery, John Malone, said in November the following. Let's play the clip. Fed. I would like to see CNN evolve back to the kind of journalism that it started with and, uh, you know, actually have journalists, which would be unique and refreshing. I think uh, a coward's way out would be to sell it <laughs> or spin it off and then sell it. I gave that big thumbs up at the time. That was a good, a good thing to say. I remember we talked about it here. You are my number one source for CNN. So... That is Chris Licht's mandate. Well, it occurred to me, like, what is he going to do? Go fire all the people who work at CNN and hire actual journalists? Like, I mean. Well, they said that the primetime, the the announcement that I saw said that the primetime was going to move away from partisan and opinion and toward. Well, like the daytime is all partisan and opinion. So, uh, you know, I I think they're not going to be able to segment it off like that. They're going to have to change. I mean, if that's really the mandate, they're going to have to address daytime, too. I Well, for sure. And the there are people who are doing CNN daytime who are trying to keep it pretty straight, I think, and are not doing too much opinion. But certainly there are those. I can't I can't think of one off the top of my head. I think Allison Camerata basically tries to do a new show. I think that is a, I think I think she is doing what. Folks at Fox like Dana Perino and Bill Hemmer are trying to do. It's a daytime show. They're moving. The The thing that I like about daytime cable news is there isn't as much time for opinion because you're moving the inventory. Okay, now we're looking at this. Now we go over here. It is, by the way, cable news is so much better. You, I, I have been reminded through the Ukraine experience. Cable news, this is what cable news is for. Right. Significant events are unfolding. And this is what and I, I really was thinking about CNN. This is what made CNN CNN, right? Remember the Scuds? No, you don't. You're too young. The Scud Studs, Bernie, I can't believe I can't remember his name, but Bernard Shaw, Bernie Shaw from CNN and uh, over in the Gulf War and the bombs going off and all that stuff. This is where CNN can be CNN, right? That was supposed to be their forte, not having Don Lemon experience deep thoughts about politics and race in America. Yeah. So new direction for CNN. I'm just wondering when do the layoffs start? We'll be on watch. Well, let me ask you this. What do you, how do you rate their chances for success? That's a really good question. Well, when I looked at this, I just thought without personnel changes, like I don't see this happening. I mean, with the current lineup that they have, I don't, he's not going to be able to do hard news focused on scoops. So TBD. Well, I I hope here here's what I hope, uh, and I hope this for my friends Chris Wallace and Jonah Goldberg, peace be upon them uh, as they go to CNN. I hope this for we got to get Chris Wallace in here for an interview. Oh, that would be so hot! I would love the Wallace. That's interview. your job. Oh, he's going to hate me. You on that. He's going to hate me for asking. I'm sorry in advance, but 
I'll do the asking. Chris Wallace, <laughs> wherever you are, please come sit tell, with us for an interview. I'm going to tell Lorraine to make him make him do it. Uh, Bring your grandchildren. Yes, everybody. The Wallace grandchildren are wonderful. But I hope that CNN can figure out a way to do this because here's why. They don't have a business model. <laughs> their, their business model has been to fail at this, right? They have tried everything from documentary specials about whales and Anthony Bourdain. And LBJ. And LBJ. The recent one's LBJ. And then they and then, good. and then Malaysian Airliners and then like. I like the Bourdain one too. The Bourdain was great. They've tried all of these. Cruises. But, but as a cable news channel, they rate for nothing, right? It's bad, right? They don't have, they're not, it's not good. And as a result of the success that MSNBC and Fox experience as partisan outlets, they are captured by their audience and not able to do more. They are not able to do more of what they could and should be doing to make this a better country. CNN has an opportunity to do that because they're starting over after they tried to be MS and Fox and and failed. Let's just just to break up my rants. Yes. Let's do your obsession. Yes. And back to me for my other CNN obsession. Oh, you have a separate CNN obsession? Yeah, that wasn't my obsession. It goes deep, yeah. America. It goes deep. But it, it's not about Chris Licht. <laughs> <laughs> so... Anyway, Chris did not lick the State of the Union address. I hate, I don't hate very many things, but I hate the institution of the State of the Union address. I hate it. It is un-American. It is wrong. It is stupid. And it is useless. But here's how it gets covered. The president's message is going to be critically important, and you're right. I think just a few months ago, officials viewed this speech happening in just a few hours as the perfect place for the president to launch a domestic reset. They hope that Mr. Biden's State of the Union address might serve as a pivot point coming at the convergence of three major events that could reorder the existing political landscape. A State of the Union address is a speech like no other. So it's not important. It's not crucial. It doesn't do anything. It is a pseudo-event expressly. Now for me to give, uh, to bore you with history. Washington and Adams, George Washington and John Adams gave their states of the union. The constitution requires that the president every year make an accounting to Congress of the state of the union. Washington and Adams delivered it as a speech. And then Thomas Jefferson, who is always, it's like, he's, he's your annoying friend who's like right so often and you really agree with him. And then he's wrong so often and you really disagree with him. Thomas Jefferson was right when he stopped doing that because he thought it was inappropriate. And it is inappropriate in the American system to have the president go to Congress and tell them what to do, to go stand in the highest position in their institution and then lecture Congress about what Congress ought to do. So they so Jefferson submitted his in writing. They stayed in writing for, I believe, and you can check me on this, but I believe until America's worst or second worst president, uh, Woodrow Wilson, took office, and he wanted to lecture his fellow, his fellow Virginian Jefferson had taken it away. He put it back and went down to go scold and lecture Congress. So his successors, in, uh, in, I always think about how uncomfortable this must have been for Calvin Coolidge, but his successors kept doing it. And there were, I think Coolidge may have sent some by letter. I don't know. I'll look it up later. But it persisted through Eisenhower and Kennedy. 
as a daytime thing with a nice lunch. Wouldn't you like to see the jello salad that Dwight Eisenhower ate? Like what kind of with the food that was offered, all served with steaming hot black coffee at the United States, sir, the honorary luncheon after the president gives his daytime remarks about the State of the Union, uh, has lunch with the leaders, and then heads back down Pennsylvania Avenue. I could live with that, right? I could live with that. But in 1964, Lyndon Johnson, another bottom-of-the-barrel, a, a, a bottom-of-the-barrel American president, needed a way to confer legitimacy on his presidency because he had was an accidental president. It had been November of just November of the year before. Now he's running for re-election. He's running as an incumbent, but he wants the trappings and majesty and visibility that an inaugural address gets you, right? He wanted that. So he turned the 19th, in 1964, they changed the character and nature of the State of the Union to a primetime television event instead of an actual speech. Joe Biden's speech was terrible because the State of the Union as a concept of a speech is terrible. It's a laundry list of dumb stuff that you have to say that is, a, you know, they're Control-X, Control-V speeches. All of the cabinet departments send their stuff in, and then the president has to go through. And we will also take care of the narwhals in Alaska, uh, the slight narwhal applause. And you go through this, the, the narwhal, big narwhal applauds. But you go through this boring, terrible speech, and then... Afterwards, and I, I this is the first year I didn't have to do it, or the, the one of the first times I didn't, haven't had to do it in years, where you then get on, you're like, Chris, what do you think? Oh, my gosh. I was going to say, my husband last night was like, so do we have to watch the State of the Union? Because I'm on maternity leave. And I was like, no. No. And, free. And we freaking went to sleep. So nice. I went upstairs like around nine and I did turn it on and I, you know, watched a little bit of it, but I did not like stay awake to watch all the commentary and da 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 da. And it was great because, as you said, it doesn't freaking matter. But, Chris, I don't think the rest of the news media shares your, our point of view on this. Well, should do, we, should we hit it? Do you, do you know why? Because do you know what television loves? Schedulable events. I was going to say, like, predictable drama. Yep. Pseudo events. The amount of effort, if you give, and I, I have worked with some incredible logistics people. Shout out to Jamie Nelson, Sherry Gretsch at Fox, Anita Siegfried, Move Mountains, right? They're like, oh, how many bathrooms are we going to need? You weren't mentioned by Chris, and you think you should have been mentioned. Please email, email us at, at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. <laughs> and Tell us how aggrieved you are and what an a-hole he is. I do look forward to it. Yeah. It's a, an amazing thing to see. How many how many bathrooms, how many dressing rooms, like doing events in weird places around the country or for the, for inaugurations. It's amazing. If you gave them time, they'll build whole sets, right? Do you remember the Fox Box? No. For campaign, I think it was 2008. The Fox Box was a mobile studio that folded up. And then go to New Hampshire, go to Iowa, go to South Carolina. Bloop! Like the sides fell. Down. It was it was super cool, and it was and it was awesome. Anyway, not important. The important part is events like these get excessive coverage 
because they are scheduled and knowable things. It's like, why do we cover stupid congressional hearings where nothing is ever said or done? And that's why poll numbers, too. They're like a concrete thing. But I like all the people who play along with it. Should we play our, our, our little montage? We already did. Oh, we did. Yep. This is why, you know, guys, but like we call it, what do we call it? breaking the, the third wall or whatever the fourth wall fourth wall oh my gosh so we don't actually hear the clips you know we we choose them and then we say okay play the clip but it's just silence here in the studio so i have no idea what you're all right the, 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 uh, the, they'll love they'll love you anyway but this is this is a problem and i don't like it i don't like the state of the union as an institution i don't like it as the coverage of it and i say fie fie upon the state of the union Anyhow, back to CNN. Back to CNN. My favorite topic, the Wall Street Journal. Your white whale. Yes, the Wall Street Journal had a story that came out. Uh, it's, I think it came out actually just after we recorded our last uh, our podcast last week about back to the Zucker, Allison Gallust drama. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we get more information now, again, Cheers to Cravath, Swain, and Moore, the white shoe law firm hired to do this investigation into Chris Cuomo, which is the gift that keeps on giving. We have another drip from this slowly leaking faucet. And we now learn more about why Zucker's paramour, oh, yeah. CNN executive Allison Gallist, was fired after Zucker himself walked the plank. Text messages or email messages, I can't remember which, but... In one of them, this is from the Wall Street Journal story, in one of them, Ms. Gullist, who, prior to working at CNN, was briefly a top aide to Andrew Cuomo, sent Chris Cuomo a sentence she said she would have added to a statement that Andrew Cuomo had issued earlier that day in February of last year after an accuser went public, some of the people said. Okay, so actually, like, you know, giving comms advice to Andrew Cuomo. In another message, and she, asked Chris Cuomo. Sorry, go and ahead. And she said, "What the, she her spokesperson said it was ridiculous or whatever that that anyone would interpret that yeah as being and I I it, in any way inappropriate yeah it was seemingly unwise that put it because it was when you read it it's sort of like that Politifact thing when you read the texts on their face." It was evident that they were inappropriate. And why did she not share that phone in the first place? Because she probably didn't want people to read them. Back to the Wall Street Journal. In another message, she asked Chris Cuomo whether another accuser ever said publicly that the then governor had never touched her. Something Ms. Gallist said Chris Cuomo had told her in a previous conversation, those people said. Ms. Gallist went on to tell Chris Cuomo that if such a statement existed, CNN should report it, they said. Yikes. 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 So essentially, CNN all the way to the top, Jeff Zucker and his number two, basically his girlfriend slash CNN comms and marketing director, Allison Gallus, were giving it, first of all, mixing their news reporting with Andrew Cuomo comms, giving Andrew Cuomo advice, using the network to advance Andrew Cuomo's cause. I mean, gross. So hopefully Chris licked Chris Lick. come in and clean all of this up. I, I I believe Chris can lick it. The question is how many people, you know, Zucker had a lot of favorites and uh, he, he, he salted the organization with those people. 
is that a problem for Licht that you have Zucker Zucker loyalism? Well, this is what I mean. Like, is he just gonna clean house and bring in his own people? Yeah, and do and it, it, I an, an organ is Joe Scarborough coming to Siena? Sweet fancy ah. Moses, I I I hope I, for CNN's sake, I hope not. That is the single worst. I think what makes Morning Joe so bad is that it pretends to be sophisticated and it pretends to be smart and then traffics in the very standard issue conventional wisdom and it's a lot of lip flap harumph we're ready for your favorite portion of well, my podcast my, you're not gonna like mine because it's it's like uh you're going to like mine okay my nice thing is to say congratulations to the Washington Free Beacon on 10 years? Yes. Ten, a 10-year anniversary. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary in February. I remember when the Washington Free Beacon occurred and came to be. Our friend Matthew Continetti went over from the... Uh, weekly Standard. At that, at, that, at that time, the lofty heights of the Weekly Standard to go do this crazy thing, which was... A, a, a real departure from Matt, who was, you know, more of a, I won't say ivory tower, but like an ideas reporter and all that stuff for this sort of bare knuckled street fighting attitude. Matt is, in fact, at his best when he is bare knuckled and street. Yeah, hell yeah, he is. And I was going to say that's what he proved. And here's what I like about the Washington Free Beacon. The Washington Free Beacon does not take itself too seriously. The Man of the Year awards, the fun the, those things. It is, it is uh, the bane of Democrats. It is the, it is all of those things, but it laughs at itself. And it is, that's a, that's a worthwhile thing. And more, the, the problem with a lot of outlets is they become, they become toot sniffers. They, they like the smell of their own stuff too much that they take themselves too seriously. And it becomes, uh, it becomes really tedious. I, I love the mix at the Free Beacon, so congratulations on 10 years. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. My favorite item is Nicole Hannah-Jones <laughs> uh, tweeting that everybody only gives a crap about what's happening in Ukraine because, um, because they're, they're white. Because they're white. Yeah, and saying that Europe is not a continent by definition. It isn't? It's just a fiction that separates it from Asia. And, you know, so people, so she said, what if I told you Europe is not a continent by definition, but a geopolitical fiction to separate it from Asia? And so the alarm about a European or civilized or first world nation being invaded is a dog whistle to tell us we should care because they are like Holy us. Folks. This is what she tweeted on Sunday. What I love about this is, I mean, it's so obvious. It's like, you know, people would care a lot if China invaded well, Taiwan. How about, how about when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. All brown in that situation. This is non-whites on non-whites. The whole world came together. The United Nations came together to, and, and the, by the way, the situation that we're seeing now in Ukraine is very similar to what happened in 1990, 1991. This was a, a big deal. And the thing I don't get with Nicole Hannah-Jones, and I, I spent some time with her writings for this book and talking about the have concept. Have you taken the course, 1619? No, I have not. The thing about Nicole Hannah-Jones, it was true in her 
when this when the 1619 project was found to be fundamentally terminally in error because of its false claim that keeping slavery was an animating principle for the founding of the country they her response to that was not to say damn i did not i should have read but instead she comes up with some stuff that says like well actually see the virginians were really upset when the british were uh, letting slaves join the uh, uh, freed slaves join the army and this and it's like but that was after the revolution what are you talking about and she never ever got to the crucial thing because if slavery if preserving slavery wasn't part of the founding then it's not the true founding of america the premise of their whole thing is that america was really founded when the first black Africans were taken into slavery in the, in what would become the United States. So she couldn't address that. Then we had the thing where, and I, I bet we talked about it here, about Pearl Harbor, you know, or, or the Hiroshima bomb, you know, they dropped it because they had spent all that money on it and they didn't want to look dumb for And you're like, what are you talking about? So what I find amazing about Nicole Hannah-Jones, who presents herself as a journalist, she's so wrong so often and nobody at the New York Times seems to be able or willing to say this is an unfortunate relationship that we have developed with a person who has low levels of intellectual curiosity. If you don't understand. It's the, it's the opposite. She's the face of the publication. It's She's crazy. It's a prize winner. And, and a MacArthur Genius Grant Award and a, I believe, a Peabody. But her if the award exists she she has won it it is on her show she definitely had the vogue where it was like ah give this woman a trophy but if you can't understand that western civilization is a thing now you may think western civilization is bad right you may there are people i assume that like ibram kendi and others might tell you that the western civilizations as we understand them through and by by the way the Roman Empire was a whole thing. The feudal system was a whole thing. The Enlightenment was a whole thing. We have done all of these things. Saying that there's no West would be like saying that there's no China. There is a China. It's there. It's not just a, a myth. For her to say that is so dumb that it tells me not that she is a dumb person, but that she is just not intellectually curious. She is not. She not doesn't so care. She. I. So a dumb person. I don't know that, but I know that she is not intellectually curious enough to ask the kinds of questions that you're supposed to ask when you're in college or high school. These are discussions that you're supposed to have when you're 19 and eating Doritos in your dorm room, major doobage or not, uh, you, that's, that's, that's dorm room talk, not for a serious journalist. Well, dorm room talk basically defines what happens in newsrooms today. But <laughs> but I digress. So what is how do you, how are you going to make this into saying something nice? How you you need you need to torture? Oh the, well, I linked a New York Post article. That's great. So you 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 the nice thing that you're saying is that it was the attack on somebody else was good. Yeah. Okay. Then this is the reverse engineered. Uh, yeah. Eliana back, special. Backing yeah. into the saying something nice. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Well, that is all the time we have left for the news about the news. If you have a story that mm -hmm, you want us mm -hmm. to talk about. Or an interview, or, a person you want us to interview. Or you're one of the tech people. Chris <laughs> did not mention. Mary Pat Dennard, I love you, Mary Pat Dennard. <laughs> Please email us at wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. That's wretches at nebulouspodcast.com. This has been Ink Stained Wretches from Nebulous Media. 
Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Just for wretches. <laughs>